When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Susie Rack of The Guardian, Rachel O'Sullivan from Girls on the Ball, and by Kieran Tavan of The Athletic. A statement of the obvious, perhaps, but this is the most important season for women's football in living memory. Are WSL clubs ready to capitalise on the extra interest? Who holds the balance of power? What should we look out for? Over to you, Susie. Yeah, no, it's definitely the most exciting season. Um, there's a huge potential following the World Cup for this WSL season to be a massive success. And I think we're seeing um, in America just what the effect of a good World Cup can do to attendances domestically if you have success. Now, obviously, the Lionesses only reached semi-final, kind of went out in quite a crushing style to the US in a similar vein to um, how they've gone out of the last two tournaments. So, in a sense... They've not got the same level of success as the US. You may not see as big a fall down to the league. Um, their league is a bit more established in terms of attendances as well. But there's a lot of effort being done to build domestic games into into big events with the two big derbies at Stamford Bridge and the Etihad, respectively. And then Spurs hosting Arsenal at the Tottenham Stadium in November. Um, West Ham have just announced that they're playing Spurs at the London Stadium in October uh, or late September. So, you know, we're seeing a bit of a change in attitude from clubs who are really buying into the idea that they've got to push mm. push games and push their fans to kind of cross over. Yeah, so that identification with and attachment to the host clubs, Rachel, is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it can be. I think that it does have its downfalls. Um, I think it's important that a club can be sustainable itself, but having the, the backing from the, the men's club can have a huge impact I think we've seen it a little bit with Liverpool. There was a shift a few years back and we really saw them capitalise on that. That waned a little bit and we saw how that, that impacted the women's club a little bit. So it does definitely help. I think using those um, big grounds for games can be can be really useful and especially capitalising on off the back of a World Cup. Um, but it's maintaining that interest and maintaining that those bonds on seats. And I think it's it's more than just this season you know you've got the Olympics next year you've got the Euros then in England it's it's a big three years and I think capitalizing now can make that trajectory just continue onwards rather than maybe what we saw after the back of the 2015 World Cup where 
there's a bit of a spike and it kind of dipped a bit. So I think it's really, really important to get that interest going now. Mm. You've seen it from the other side as well, haven't you, Kieran? You know, having worked for FIFA during the World Cup. Um, is there a sense that there is a strategic push behind the women's game now? Yeah, definitely. I think, well, FIFA is a great example of, in the last few years, they've they've launched their first dedicated women's football strategy that has five pillars and incorporates a lot of different things into those. And I think now we're seeing other countries follow on that. I think we're seeing um, a lot more clearer strategy as to what federations want to achieve. I know that the FA, for example, last year, the key messages were about the fact that the game was now professional in this country. I know that this year, the big push for them is is getting people through the turnstiles and getting them into stadiums. That's the key message for them. And um, I think now there are dedicated teams in a lot of different federations that are helping. There's people with expertise in that particular area are going to help that along the way. So, yeah, I think for sure, compared to a few years ago, there's a lot more strategic thinking and a lot more direction. Yeah. And you know, by dint of that, Susie, you spent two days at St George's Park every WSL club represented two players, 24 interviews in two days. Mm. It must have scrambled your brain. But um, is that a sign also that they're getting their act together? Yeah, and I think in the context of um, this couple of weeks at the moment, uh, that took a lot of organising on their part because we've got the international break. You know, England are off to play Belgium and then Norway in two friendlies and then the league starts just days later. So fitting in a time slot where national and um, uh, and local press uh, and independent press can all get enough uh, stuff from every single club. It was a big ask. Um, and there was talk of, you know, kind of phone-ins and things to make it work. But um, but in the end, they, you know, they had us all up at St George's Park for the two days for a very intense half an hour, player switches over, half an hour, player switches over, um, two days in a row, uh, which was gruelling our questions got more and more ridiculous um but yeah i think it you know it's a good sign that the fa pushed and made that work you know they've tried they've experimented in the past couple of years with different formats of how to kind of help us gather enough material um and really give every chance every club a chance to um to do something with the press in the run-up to the start of the league but this season was you know probably the most intensive it's been and you literally have players coming in full kit going off to broadcast room after broadcast room, you know, a corridor literally labelled with, you know, Whisper, TV, BBC, Sky, all the way down the corridor, you know, then the written press and they have to walk in. There's, you know, about 15 of us, which is uh, huge in and of itself, sitting around an almost executive style table and this poor player has to come and sit in the middle of all of us and be grilled. Um, yeah, it's an intense environment, but it, I mean, it's very, it's very good good two days and there's a lot of really really nice material that's going to come out of it i think as well okay so the projection's going to be right rachel what about the substance you know i hate the phrase product but what is the product going to be like on the pitch in the wsl this season what are the standards going to be like well i think you know you've seen it from world cup standards where every world cup it just gets improved and improves and improves um and i think we're seeing that with the wsl as it goes on every season it gets better and better um, we're seeing more players coming from all over the world, um, and it, which shows the attractiveness of the league. And it's just more and more competitive every season. So I, I think the product, I mean, I think we can all agree, maybe we're biased, but um, <laughs> the product is, is really, really good and really, really enjoyable. And I think now it's getting everything else in line with that, whether that's the fan experience and engagement with fans and, and from the press point of view, it's getting all of that in line just then helps boost what's on the pitch. So, yeah, I think it's going to be the most competitive season yet. Mm. How would the standards compare 
here in say the States, or, you know, we see big strategic pushes in places like Spain. Um, obviously, you've got the Lyon-Wolfsburg scenario, who, who tend to be probably a little bit of a level above. What, where are we in sort of global terms? Up there, near the top, if not at the top, I think, depending on who you speak to and how many leagues you watch. Um, I think in terms of the competitiveness of the league, I still think the NWSL is the most competitive, but they have a very different model. And I think it's almost difficult to compare European leagues to the NWSL because they have the college draft system. So if a team finishes bottom of the league, they then get to pick the best players out of the college system. So obviously it works a little bit differently. In terms of Europe, I, I actually think England are at the top now. I think we, for years, were playing catch-up behind Germany and France and Sweden. But we now have a fully professional league, which is the only fully professional league in Europe. There are obviously teams that sit within European leagues that are professional, the likes of Barcelona in Spain and, and Lyon in France and Wolfsburg in Germany. But there's no other league in, the, in the Europe that has a fully professional competition. So, as Rachel said, you know this is attracting the best players in the world. There are players that want to come here. We were talking before we came on to recording, weren't we? The number of players that have come from Bayern Munich over to Arsenal is sitting at around half a dozen now. Uh, they signed four in the summer. Um, so, you know, we're, we're now looking at a, a league where not only do players want to be, but there are now, there's now demand from people globally that want to watch the league. And that's been the case for a little while, but now the demand is obviously seeing results. Mm. So let's get to the nitty-gritty. The season begins with you know, Manchester derby. I'm guessing that there will be more attention paid to United given you know, their, their promotion and the nature of the club. Are they well prepared for that step up that they have to make? I think they did a lot of the groundwork last season. That you know, it was always the aim that last season was a prep, almost like a preparatory year, where they would they would win promotion, they would blood some of the young players um, in that competitive environment and use that to um, to kind of lift off into the top tier. Um, they've made some really shrewd signings. They've cleared away some of the players that maybe wouldn't necessarily be competitive enough at that level, um, and they've got a very competitive team for the league. I don't think it's necessarily going to be challenging the cities, Chelsea, Arsenal, but it, I, I think it's kind of it's pushing. I think it'll be pushed. They'll be pushing at that door. Mm. What about Casey Stoney as a coach? What should we expect from her? Um, I think the fact that she was a player gives her huge experience and huge insight, um, particularly in this particular level and playing at this level of football. Um, and I think it gives that huge amount of trust with her players. She knows she knows what she's doing and I think she knows what to expect uh, from her team. As Susie said, I don't think they're going to necessarily be challenging, but she wants to be pushing them uh, as hard as they can go. And I think getting mid-table is maybe something mm. she'd probably be expecting. Right, so for them, mid-table would constitute success, do you think? I would think so, yeah. I think, you know, last season, as you said, it was kind of a preparatory season and they did play some good games against the, the big teams in cup games, but I don't think you can really compare cup games to a league. You need that consistency. Um, so I think that's something that Case will be looking for from her team is that consistent performance level against the big names throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And does women's football need a strong Manchester United? It doesn't need a strong Manchester United. No, I think it's survived this long without it. Um, you know, for, for example, Arsenal have been the leading team for years uh, in, in women's football. You know, Manchester United hadn't had a team since 2005 until they, they relaunched their, their team last year. So, no, it doesn't need a successful Manchester United in terms of the quality on the field and in terms of the attention. But obviously, a strong Manchester United 
potentially means that we reach out to a new audience. Uh, I think we had we saw that last year. There were a lot of people I think that got into women's football off the back of of United launching their team, and uh, you know we'll see them continue to develop, and I think that will continue to to attract more interest. But no, I don't think we need them to be successful. I think the the job that Arsenal and and more recently Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool, uh, to a lesser extent now maybe a few years ago, but uh, I think you know. It's not imperative that they're successful, but it's no bad thing that we now have them. Same with Tottenham Hotspur. I think having a, a name like Tottenham in the in the top division as well mm. is going to attract people and attract eyes onto the league. So it's not just about Man United. I know they got a lot of attention last year, and I'm sure they will this. But they, you know, the league, the, the league, and and women's football survived a fair amount of time without them. But it's good to see them in the top division, and and hopefully they can uh, can push those top teams and and make everyone better. That's the thing I think is that it adds a bit of competitiveness between the clubs. You know, I'm sure, like I'm an Arsenal fan, seeing Tottenham host Arsenal in the Tottenham Stadium mm. before Arsenal have hosted a professional uh, top level game in the Emirates. You know, they've done it years and years ago, and they did it at the Emirates Cup. But that hurts a little bit. You know, I don't like the Tottenham doing that, and I like I'm sure that the Arsenal board don't particularly like that either. And I, I think that, you know, Man United coming into the mix and Spurs coming into the mix adds that little bit of competitive, that will drive the game forward. Um, that's, for me, one of the biggest benefits of it. Yeah, Derby, I think, um, last season, United got very, very good attendances uh, for the league and, well, for the top two tiers, didn't they? Um, which kind of bucked the trend a little bit. And I think there is going to be a little bit of a drive by them to out... Um, outnumber Man City fans at the Etihad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they'll, they'll be the noisy neighbours this time, won't they? Exactly, yeah. It's a yeah. Bit, of role, bit of a role reversal. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that competitiveness should hopefully drive clubs to up their game um, and also fans to kind of buy into it a bit more in a different way too. Mm-hmm. What about City? How will they approach this? Um, you know, we've, we've looked at them in terms of you know, they have... Did almost they did almost everything perfectly last season? Lost one game, lose the title. Is that an indication of how exacting the standards might be this season as well? Yeah, I think so, and I think they've gone through quite a bit of change. They've had quite a few out, quite a few in. They're about six out, six yeah, in. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see how they settle down. Um, and I think maybe they've suffered a little bit in the past, kind of seeing them gel together quickly yes they've been winning but oftentimes it's one nil it's that kind of 80 odd minute goal but they've been getting those three points so it'll be interesting to see them kind of overcome that again um, but they've brought in some some strong names some big names and and players who've played in the WSL and played at that standard which I think will help um, so the likes I mean it's a shame Alan White has that injury now but you know she's an important head to have in the team the likes of Aoife Mannion I think she's such an underrated player mm. she's she's so so good I think she'll do really well to help solidify that back line for, for City so yeah I think it's a, it feels like almost like a bit of a transitional period for City but we've seen them go through that be, that before and still be pushing winning the league coming second um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can they can do that again this season with with so many other teams bringing in big names. Mm-hmm. Who should we be looking out for at City? Uh, I mean, I, I like Rachel said they've brought in new players, but I, I still think that some of the stronger players are the ones that that have been there for a little while. I still think that Georgia Stanway is the player that for me keeps getting better and better. She obviously made her England debut at the end of last year. She went to the World Cup. I think that she is a player that's going to continue to to drive that team forward and could end up being the face of that club. I think she's that good and has the potential to be that good. 
Um, but I like Lauren Hemp as well. Yeah. Didn't get as much time on the field last year as maybe she would have liked, but with the departure of Nikita Paris, it may well be that we see her get a little bit more opportunity. I think they did very well to hold a, keep hold of Kira Walsh. Yeah. There was obviously suggestions that she might go to Lyon, but Man City have put their foot down and said you're not going anywhere. And she, for me, is, is one of the best in her position, not just in the, in, in the league, but in the world. I think on her day, she's as good as anyone. And we've seen her play against big players like Carly Lloyd and, and really stifle her. So... Uh, I think the, with, with the new players coming in, I, I agree with Rachel, I think Aoife Mannion's top class. Mm. And mm. it was quite amusing that she uh, she got her first call up for England as soon as she'd made the, the move to Manchester City, despite the fact that she'd been playing well enough for Birmingham to get in. But I think there's plenty of quality still at Man City, but I think it's the, the players that maybe have been there a little while that will be the standout. Yeah. Who, who fills the Nikita Paris-sized hole? You know, 19 goals last season, six or seven assists. Who, who will make sure that that gap is filled? I think, as Kieran alluded to, um, Lauren Hemp has got to be in with a decent shout, getting a, reg- a bit of regular time on the wing. When Ellen White's fit, I'm assuming Georgia Stanway will either drop into the 10 or be moved out wide, so she's another possibility. The thing is, they've got a very versatile set of forwards. Um, they've got Pauline Bremner as well, um, who's um, been injured and is back. And without Ellen White, like I worry for them a little bit um, in terms of you know that out-and-out goal scorer, you know, because that's what... As Rachel said, they've been you know, narrow margins of what they've been winning by generally last season. Um, a lot of one nils, a lot of late goals, a lot of kind of last gasp efforts. Mm. And so, you know, they bought in White to 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 provide that guaranteed goal up front. Um, I think uh, Janine Becky said that every time she touches the ball, she scores. Um, and they've lost that, well, from what it seems for quite a while. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility on the players um, that are behind her in in the in the pecking order for the the out and out striker position to really really up their game and contribute. It's a big season for Becky. I, I think is, we yeah. we haven't seen the best of her at club level yeah. anywhere that she's been. I've I've seen her best play mm. for Canada when she's playing for a national team, mm. but she played in the NWSL for Houston and for Sky Blue FC. Mm. Didn't really work out for her over there, and she got a big move to Manchester City. She's not had huge opportunity to show what she's made of, mm. but now with Ellen injured, with Nikita gone, there's a real opportunity for her now to actually mm. say, Do you know what, Ellen, if when you're fit, you're going to have to fight for your place because I want to grab that opportunity and I'm going to make the most mm. of it. If she doesn't, might be that Ellen's not only taken her place, but it might be that she struggles to get back into that team at all. Mm. I'm excited to see Lauren Hemp. I know we've mm. mentioned her, but I think she could really stand out this season if she takes the opportunities. And I think she will. We've seen her at um, youth levels banging away the goals and I just it doesn't seem to phase her, the pressure. So mm. I, I think she mm. might really step up this season as well. Okay. Um, yeah, self-avowed Arsenal fan. <laughs> they start their season uh, against West Ham. Um are they potential for eight, or, or should they be favourites? Yeah. Uh, my bias is going to come out strong. Um, but um, they they won the league in such style last season despite um, a like slightly farcical level of injuries. Um, you know, they, at one stage they had seven uh, first-team starters sitting in the stands. You could see them all sitting there mm. and it became a little bit of a joke. I don't think it is statistically possible for a team to have as many injuries as they had last season. That said, they've not got, I don't think, necessarily the the biggest squad that they could have um, to really alleviate that kind of problem. Um, Jordan Nobbs coming back is obviously a massive boost. Um, 
and you know she's really like the little engine of that team when she gets going so that that that's going to be huge but you know how quickly she can be fed into the team um is a question as well they've um brought in some great players um they play wonderful football. Um, if they hit the ground running like they did at the start of last season where they just kind of, you know, smashed everyone in their wake, bar West Ham though, which is interesting because mm. that's their first game, um, then, uh, you know, they, they, they've got to be favourites. West Ham though did give them their biggest, I'd, I'd say they're over the two games, in fact, their biggest their biggest trouble. I think the first game was 4-3 and really... Really tight, um, and West Ham are a much better, much better team than they were last season as well. So, that first game, whilst you know easy on paper, is is going to be really a really really competitive battle, and probably sitting in the shadows of the two the two derbies at the big stadiums might get a bit lost, but could actually be one of the more exciting ties because it's a a, um, a more closely matched pairing. Mm. Do you think, um, Rachel, that? Well, the sense that I get from them is that there is a sense of stability there. That they, you know, they know where they are, they know where they are on the path, mm. and they will follow that path yeah. and therefore be successful. Is yeah. that, is that I think so. I think Montemurro has really brought in that stability, and that was something he seemed keen to bring in from the get-go and focus on from the get-go. And I think seeing them come through the way they did with such a skeleton team last year, like I, I remember games where there was maybe 12 or 13 available for the for the game so barely able to get any subs but yeah he's really brought a stability and I think maybe we're seeing that with having numerous players from Bayern Munich or numerous players from Holland it, it kind of gives them that that trust where they know where each other is in the park um, and we're seeing them shift now from that comfortable play to some really really nice football um, I know some of the, the friendlies they had um, pre-season, they've lost, but they've played some lovely, lovely stuff. They've been playing better teams. I think Montemiro wanted to challenge them. Um, so, yeah, I think I just I can only see them improving. And, and if they can do what they did last season with the squad they had, I think they're going to be really, really dangerous. Mm. He's a really engaging man, isn't he, Montemiro? And as a coach, what do you think defines him? Trust. Players trust him. Players like him. I think that... They talk about the Arsenal way and I, you, you see some of the post-match videos of huddles and things like that and he talks about that was the Arsenal way uh, and I think they lost that uh, towards the end of Pedro Martinez Losa's spell as, as head coach before Joe. Uh, but he's a he's a Gunners fan as well. Mm. He grew up an Arsenal fan so he gets it. It's, it's in his DNA and I think when you've got players like Leah Williamson, who's Arsenal through and through, and, and Jordan Nobbs, who's essentially adopted Arsenal as being mm. her club. I, there was a video after her comeback, you know, saying this is the best badge in the world. And when you have players like that who buy into that football club, you need a coach that buys into it as well, as much as they do. And, and Joe certainly does that. And what the, uh, the only things I hear about him are positive, not just mm. from Arsenal players, but if you speak to someone like Jess Fishlock, who played for him at Melbourne City, only have good things to say about him. So you know, if Arsenal have another good season, it could be that there's some national team positions that if they become available, certainly he would be near the top of the list. I personally would have him near the top of the list for the, the US women's national team vacancy, which is about to come up with Jill Ellis resigning. So um, I'm not advocating that he goes there yet, but I, I think it's certainly, I would, he would be on my short list for sure. Could you see him actually taking over from Phil Neville eventually? I think it'd definitely be on the list when Phil uh, eventually steps aside. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's always that possibility. I think um, 
if I was the FA, I'd probably go for someone like Laura Harvey, uh, who's got that experience in the States, would be my personal preference. But I think when that job comes available, there's going to be a lot of, you know, Emma Hayes will still, Hmm. name will still be in the ring despite the various kind of frictions she has with with the FA um so yeah I mean, he'll, he'll definitely be a name that's in the ring and what was interesting was at this media day um Jen Beatty who switched from Man City to Arsenal where she uh played previously uh said that Joe was a big part of her signing for Arsenal and she she played with him in uh, Australia as well um and Kim Little was a big advocate for him to the club in getting him in in the first place because she played under him in Australia as well. So, as Kieran said, he's very well liked by the players and mm. respected. Yeah, players talk, don't they? Yeah. Um, with West Ham, why do you think they'll be stronger this season? Um, well, they've brought in some some good names. I mean, maybe not huge stars, um, but I think bringing in some solid strong players that have good experience. I mean, they're, they're losing the likes of Claire Rafferty, um, mm. which is a shame. But I think after the season they had new to the league, on top of that confidence, bringing in kind of that stability, um, they give teams a run for their money, like we saw that with the likes of Arsenal. Mm. And as you, you said earlier, they were one of the tougher teams that they had to face. Mm. So, and with the likes of Matt Beard at the helm, you, you've, you've got to, it breeds confidence in players, I think. Um, so I think they'll be mid-table I think they and they're going to push the likes of the Arsenal's and the Chelsea's mm. I think when you have that rivalry edge as well it always gives it almost like a cup feel um they've so recruited from France quite heavily yeah they? yeah um I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't blame there's a lot of very good players over there it'd be interesting to see again how they they settle in um and we've said this before about um the WSL is you don't have a lot of time to kind of feel your way around in the league you have to start well um and a, a loss here or there can be can be so damaging um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they slot into the team. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be they'll have a good season. Mm. I think they'll improve on last season. So that, you know, carrying on from the point that Rachel made there about the nature of the league, there aren't that many fixtures, so you've just got to go and be on it from the from day one, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. If you lose your first few fixtures, you're automatically playing catch up, and it's very difficult in a league where you have some very strong teams at the top because the likes of Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea are not going to drop many points. So if you start slowly, you're not catching them. I mean, Chelsea didn't, if Mm. if I remember rightly, Chelsea didn't have the best start Mm. last year Mm. and they struggled to catch up with Arsenal, Man City and as a result, they miss out on on Champions League football. And they have one of the, you know, Susie was talking earlier about Arsenal's depth. I actually think Mm. Chelsea probably have the most depth in terms of availability of players they if you look at their bench week on week they have international players on their bench pretty much every week Arsenal have had to rely at times on on players out of their academy so if you don't start this competition quickly it's very very difficult to get to where you want to be so depending on whether you're competing for Champions League football or whether you're looking to finish in those positions just outside those top two or three no one looks for that but realistically some of those teams aren't going to be able to compete Mm -hmm. with Arsenal, Man City and Chelsea I know we go on a lot about those teams but they are the ones that invest the head the most and it's going to be difficult for some of the other teams to keep pace with them but depending on what your goal is and depending where you think you might finish, if you don't start well, there's a good chance you're not going to reach it. Yeah, because you know, Emma, Emma Hayes does say, you know, my, my aim is to have, it's actually the classic aim to have two players for every position, which is pretty close to getting now. Mm-hmm. Um, with Chelsea, they've had a in and out pre-season, but they, they won in Israel. And I want to just dwell on that 
trip a little bit because of the broader significance of it. This was a trip basically at the behest of Roman Abramovich, who's interested in the women's game as part of the broader um, inclusivity strategy that they've got for the football club. You had the chairman there, Bruce Buck. How important is it that someone like Emma Hayes has a, a fundamental role within the club, which actually goes beyond women's football? Extremely important. I think it's no accident that when um, uh, Sari's uh, job was being questioned, that Emma Hayes' name was being mentioned as a possible replacement. You know, she's got a huge amount of trust within the within the club as a whole. Um, and you know, when we kind of sat down with her before one of the Champions League games last season, I think the, before their Lyon semi final, she was telling us sitting in her office that when she started in that room, the women's team owned one chair. Um, and now they've literally taken over the entire building and having it refurbished. And they've got a TV series this this year, kind of fly on the wall thing, like um, like Man City have done and and various others. Um, and there's there's a big big investment in in not just Chelsea women, but in her as a manager. Like they believe in her abilities, and she's extremely capable. I think you know it's no accident that whenever there's a conversation about the possibility of of a woman manager in in men's professional football, hers is the first name that comes up. Um, but she doesn't need very, the, very she doesn't need the men's game to no. define herself as a coach, does she? No. Oh, no, she doesn't. I mean, she's um, she's such a strong personality. Mm. She's a very eloquent speaker. She's um, she's great to sit and listen to. Mm. I've been to numerous occasions where she's you know speaking about the game as a whole or about about Chelsea specifically, and she's just not in any kind of patronising way. She's so knowledgeable yeah. about like every other team, other managers, all that kind of thing. And she's, I think she just exudes that confidence mm. both on and off the pitch. Um, so yeah, it's, it's no, it doesn't surprise me at all when, mm. when her name is kind of bandied around in, in all kinds of positions, whether that's the England manager or in the men's game. She gets invited out every winter. Don't know if she does now because of the, the change in, this, in the season, but I've been out to the United States a few winters uh, in a row and she gets invited to the United Soccer Coaches yeah, Associations. Um, they have a big convention out there every January and they actually have a tr indoor training pitches and they get different coaches to come in and give like hour sessions with people essentially sat around the pitch watching and the coaches mic'd up and they're kind of explaining different things and going through different drills and, and Emma in the two or three years that I've been has always had a session there and that's how highly respected and how highly regarded she is and you listen to her as these guys said she has so much knowledge and so much insight into the game you sit there and you're literally mesmerized by everything that she's doing because she has such a, a wide understanding of the game both on a tactical level and I think an emotional level as well I think her players buy into how she comes across because she has that emotional intelligence as well as the tactical side as well yeah she seems like the kind of manager who, who creates a philosophy. And I think, you know, we haven't seen too much shift in the team this season, but um, it, it's because she has that philosophy she's trying to Im implement, it seems, and players buy into that and the club buys into that and trust her. And, you know, it, it's taking a little while, I think, for it to gel. We saw them in previous seasons having um, such highs and there's been a kind of a bit of a lull, I think, last season, but they trust in her her way of playing and and I think we'll I think that will hopefully come together this this season. Mm. Will the fact they're not in the Champions League act as one a buffer against overplaying, but secondly, um, a, um, a motivation to get back in it? Oh, 100%. Um, they'll be so annoyed that they're not in the Champions League. 
Um, they've got so many top internationals that want to be playing in that competition. Um, and I think it's a testament to Emma and Chelsea that they've kept a lot of their players um, together, despite not having Champions League football as well. What's interesting is um, at this media day up at St George's Park, uh, both Chelsea players um, and Emma Hayes have spoken about it herself. It's not like they were slagging her off or anything. Kylie Selford and Millie Bright both said that last season a big part of it was Emma wasn't really there at the start because of you know the having the baby and, um, and losing said and she's losing actually... a baby and that that hit their pre-season yeah. they didn't really have one that hit the start of their season you know she was struggling with sleep mm. and things like that and that but she admitted all that didn't she completely yeah and that derailed the start of their campaign so like if anything last season is a little bit of an anomaly in that sense in that I don't think that they will have a season like that this season um I don't think it's you know like a pattern of decline or anything like that um with the other you know with you know, Arsenal and Chelsea, sorry, Arsenal and Man City kind of pulling away from them a bit. It's, it's very much a, a bit of an anomaly. And the the fact that she's kept the, that team together, brought in um absolutely brilliant player in Gura Aitan, um and kind of has had a proper pre-season and start, no matter kind of whether they've won or lost those games, um, will mean that they've got a massive part to play this season they're going to be they're going to be challenging Mm. and you know what you're going to get because you've got players like Frank Kirby you know Beth England Backman on the bench like Mm. bringing someone like that Erin Cuthbert Cuthbert. yeah Yeah. it's just I think they've got such a strong squad and when those three particularly link up at the front they're so so dangerous and I feel like Chelsea are the kind of team that you know, you don't just see them challenging for the league. They're the kind of team that challenge for every cup. And I, I can see them getting to the latter stages and everything um, because of that kind of team. And I think having that continuity will be a, will play a big role in that the further on the season goes. They start against Spurs, Kieran. Um, nine new signings. One assumes, like most um, situations, it'll take time to gel. Yeah, I, I actually see Tottenham being a little bit like West Ham last season. Mm-hmm. I think they've signed players... That will help them settle into that division. They've signed experienced WSL players. Obviously, Becky Spencer is an experienced goalkeeper that's been in the league for a long time. Managed to get Dutch international Siri Vaughan from Everton. I think with with the combination of the WSL experienced players that they've brought in, they've got some good young English players as well. And obviously, momentum counts for a lot as well. You often see it in the men's game as well. You know, teams that come up from a division lower that have been successful and have done really well that momentum continues because you're used to winning. I think they've made a really good signing in Kit Graham coming in from Charlton a few weeks ago. I think she will hopefully settle in and, and score some goals for them. But yeah, I think I think they'll be OK. I, I do think that it's going to be difficult for them to compete with the, the top teams that we've been speaking about. But I do see them being kind of similar to West Ham, that they'll be looking to just settle in that division, look to maybe claim a mid-table place. And then if they can do that and establish themselves bring in some some better quality maybe for the for the following season mm. if we're looking again this is a broader issue Susie um and it's something I know you spoke about at St George's Park about maybe the improvement the strategic improvement of refereeing in the women's game is that overdue yeah definitely um and spoke to a group of us spoke to Joe Stimson the head of women's refereeing back in kind of February March time um, and she was very, very much kind of the FA holds its hands up. We've not, we've not done enough. We've not 
um, invested heavily enough or put enough into refereeing um, for it to keep pace with the professionalisation of, of the women's game generally. And like, there's a massive demand from it. Um, I remember at two points, Emma Hayes and Matt Beard both being extremely critical of refereeing and uh, post-match really frustrated with performances of referees. We've not got fully professional referees refereeing in a fully professional league. That, that's a problem. There are big improvements being made in that you've now got the level of analysis of a referee's performance from the same system that they do for the Premier League being used in WSL instead of having an observer just sitting in the stand and, and kind of subjectively going through it um, as it's being played. They've got a uh, match officials are going to sit down and watch the performance and send them the video with you know comments on everything they've done. It's, it's you know a very different system and also that's freeing then freeing up the observers to go down and do championship uh, games, which has been. Refer like kind of reviewing of refereeing at that level has been very kind of hit and miss. Mm. It has existed, but it's not been very consistent or kind of across the board. So they're they're making changes. Um, you know, I know Joe Simpson. Joe Simpson herself personally wants to see professional referees as soon as possible. But um, you know, getting people to that level when you've got um, referees, uh, some of the top referees also have you know full time jobs. Um, you know what. What are you offering them to get them to give that up and go full time? Is there a system where they can, you know, kind of stagger it and be part time, um, you know, and have a sort of sliding scale of, of hours that you can commit to and things? Um, there's, yeah, there's loads of questions around how you get to the point of fully professional referees in in the league um, and the moves are being made to get it there. But I mean, it's still massively behind um the, the level of what's going on the pitch. One of the big problems as well is, you know, saw it um, at the World Cup, players playing with VAR for the first time. Um, we don't get that at club level. That's not going to happen. It's, it, you know, club grounds where women's teams play aren't really equipped for VAR by any stretch. Someone would say that's a mercy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I may be one of those. But, um, but the fact that you've then got, you know, these players who are playing week in, week out in a professional league and then going and playing in international competition and experience VAR for the first time is a problem, you know, at least in the Premier League. They're playing with it week in, week out. So when they go to the World Cup, it's not a foreign thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just it's just part of the process, whereas this is another thing that players have to grapple with when they step onto the international mm-hmm. stage, which is, a, which is another aspect to it. So I suppose it's all about incremental improvement isn't it yeah across the board not just Mm. I mean obviously we're seeing the improvement on the pitch but that needs to come everywhere whether that's fitness nutrition referees I mean you mentioned about players having to deal with VAR for the first time at international level so do the referees Mm. which Mm. you know they were meant to be the experts of it and I criticised referees during the World Cup I found it all really really frustrating but at the end of the day their first experience with this is at the the highest level the biggest stage which seems crazy yeah I I had the the opportunity to go to Stockley Park just uh, last week and have a little bit of a, an insight and session on on VAR and and what I took away from it was that in hindsight the Women's World Cup was not ready to, mm. to have VAR. There was a lot of discussion in the lead up, people wanting it because obviously we want the Women's World Cup to be equal to the Men's World Cup. So we had VAR at the Men's World Cup, so we should have it at the Women's World Cup. There's two ways of, of looking at that. Yes, I completely agree. We want the Women's World Cup to be treated the same as the men's and therefore the referees should really have been put in a position earlier where they were ready for the Women's World Cup. The, the reality is, like these guys say, unfortunately some of those referees just aren't good enough whether they're ready for VAR or not. But in hindsight, 
sitting in on that VAR session last week, we were not ready for VAR to be at the Women's World Cup. Okay, let's bring it back to football. Thankfully, um, Birmingham finished fourth last season. Is this the, the season that we we look at Marta uh, Tejador and say, well, okay, we now know what she's about? I hope so. I mean, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's, it's very hard to to see what Birmingham are going to be because they've had so many, tra- they've lost so many key players who really <coughs> kind of, I would, I would say, stuck around for Mark Skinner and he was what kept them there. Um, and now he's not there. You know, they, they've gone on to, you know, bigger clubs because they don't have him and kind of his personality and his style of of, of man management there to drive that um, that loyalty uh, to the club. So she's brought in a lot of new faces. They've played quite a few games, I think, behind closed doors. So we've not actually seen what really they're going to look like in this new season. Um, and when we spoke to uh, the two players who were there at St George's Park, they both um, said we completely understand that fans are really nervous and don't really... Uh, know what to expect and are worried about the new season and the kind of whole scale changes but we feel really good and we we think we're playing really well and are really confident so I mean, who knows what they're going to be Do you, I, I don't know what they're going to be like at all. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you it's so much <coughs> overhaul so much overhaul and we don't really know why uh, as Susie said I think a lot of those players bought into Mark Skinner Mm. I think he was incredibly popular and I think they overachieved under him and, and I know some Birmingham fans won't like me saying that. I can think of one or two on social media who <laughs> are going to give me some stick after this. But yeah, I do I do honestly think they overachieved with him in charge. They have some brilliant players, but a lot of those top players have now departed and look, it's it's difficult. We have we have a bigger a bigger league now and, and we have to see how those promoted teams do as well. But Birmingham could be in for a bit of struggle depending on how quickly those players settle. Mm-hmm. And Marta was a real unknown entity when she came in. We don't really know. Mm. You know, she, last season you couldn't really judge her because well, she, she was, came in in January. Exactly, she? Yeah. yeah. She was dealing with the end, the tail end yeah. of the season and was just, you know, let's just get us through. Mm. And like she not really come from any league or, mm. or, or club that anyone really watched with any kind of regularity to be able to know what she's really like as a manager. So it's going to be it's interesting. Yeah. So Birmingham started against Everton. Let's look at the what I would call the best of the rest. You know, Everton, Liverpool, Bristol City. Who do you expect to do best out of that group? Well, Everton have always been a bit of an enigma for me mm. because they've had such a young squad and they always felt like they were on the cusp of something. You know, you've got the likes of Simone McGill and Hannah Kane. They stay fit are a really key part of that team. Gabby George is has always impressed me right back from when she was 17, 18. Um, she always seemed beyond her years. So they've got a good core group, but they just never seem to get over the line, which always frustrated me about Everton. So I'm intrigued to see how they do this year. I keep, every year I hope that this is the year that they the result goes their way. Um, Bristol City always have a place in my heart. Um, I think they're great. Um, so I'm hoping they do well this season. They've got a few names in as well. But I think it'll be interesting around around the, the bottom half of the of the table. I think there'll be a lot of grappling for, for points. I think we'll see quite a bit of shift of teams in positions. Mm. Um, I don't think, I can't see someone being dead bottom. No, we're not, gonna, we're not going to have another, and with the greatest respect to them, we're not going to have another Yeovil situation where a team is just completely outclassed every week. Mm. The teams are much more evenly matched and those that aren't necessarily evenly matched have, 
have done really well with with their recruitment and and I'm with Rachel I I really like what Bristol City do I think they've got a good mm. coach in Tanya Oxtoby and they had a really good season last year they've lost Lucy Graham who was a really important player for them who's gone to Everton but you know they've they've recruited well I really like they've signed Charlie Wellings who was a, a very important young player for Birmingham and I think she'll slot in nicely there and with the right coaching there's no reason why they can't have a another good season and finish in that sort of middle part of the table mm. what about Liverpool I, I mean, look, the Liverpool are not the team that they were a, a few years ago. We know that uh, for reasons that we may never know unless those at the top of the club are willing to give us some insight because I don't know how a team that can win back-to-back titles and qualify for the Champions League a few years later be competing in the middle of the table and we're not mentioning them in the same breadth as the likes of, of Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea. And it may well be that we're looking at even Man United overtaking them this season. Mm-hmm. But I like Vicky Jepsen a lot their head coach I think she gave the club some stability when they really needed it they lost Neil Redfern within what weeks months of him taking on the job and and she stepped in and and she is a coach that I think the players buy into they've still got some quality there you know they've still got you know ex-England internationals like like Jess Clark there so there's 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 no there's not like they're they're looking to bring up you know bring up the rear and and be finishing near the bottom they've got enough players there to finish in that middle part but I think it's sad to see a team that was so competitive and really changing the face they were the ones that, that essentially overthrew Arsenal yeah. first mm. Arsenal won the first couple of seasons of the FAWSL and Liverpool were the team that overtook them so how is it then a team that can overtake the most coveted club in the history of women's football in this country along with Doncaster Rovers Bells we won't go into them because that's another sad story that, that's for another time. But how can a club that overtakes Arsenal all of a sudden then, a few years later, be competing mid-table? There's signs, though, isn't there, that they're, that they're starting to reinvest in the club because they, they took the women's team on the pre-season tour they with did. the men's mm. and they've re-kitted out the dressing rooms like, mm. and did a big, you know, like, fancy photo shoot with the new dress, dressing rooms with the players' names properly put up and things like that. There's signs that, that the club as a whole might be starting to take the women's team a little bit more seriously yeah. as well, though, isn't it? Well, they, 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 yeah. can't, they can't struggle if Man United are coming in and getting all the plaudits, can yeah. they? Club cultures and all that. We can't forget about Reading either. I was literally just going to say that, so you go for it. No, no, I was going to say, uh, Kelly Chambers has really mm. built a, a solid squad and um, she's got some really big-name players in, in that squad, um, the likes of Farrell Williams and Joe Potter and, like... They're, they're, a, they're yeah, they're a team that again are, are always kind of pushing the top teams. I find, especially in the cups, yeah. they tend to do well. So they're another solid team that gives the likes of City and the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea a tough game. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's what's nice as well, Mike. If I, if I remember rightly, one of the things we talked about on on one of your earlier podcasts might not have been one I was on. You talked about female coaches. I think there's eight in the division mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. out of the yeah. twelve teams. I mean, that's I think that's probably unheard of in any league, mm-hmm. let alone in a in a top division in in a in a country where the league is so competitive. I think mm-hmm. eight female coaches in the top division. I think when the WSL started, I don't think it would have been anywhere near that. So that is that is a sign of how much progress we're pay- yeah. we're making. Not just the quality of the the product on the field, but the female coaches coming through and being given a chance as well is massive. Well, yeah. that's why when Phil goes, the conversation is going to be very very different to one. That was yeah. had when Phil came in. Yeah, where it was what there was maybe three women coaches in the top tier. I think it was it was a lot less anyway. The whole field of management is very very different now. Okay, let's pull this together then. Um, prediction time. 
um, tin helmets at the ready, I'm sure. Um, who do you think will win? Yes. <laughs> Arsenal, <laughs> uh, obviously. I think um, Chelsea are going to be very, very strong. Um, City, again, are just consi- like have a impressive level of consistency, particularly strong at the back. And they will push them, but... If you if you just watch the way Arsenal played last season, you can't see them giving up that title without an ex- extreme fight. How Champions League football will affect them is yeah. it's going to be a big big question, though. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Arsenal as well. I think if they can do what they did last season with the squad they had, with who they've brought in now, with um, players back from injury, I think they're going to be a real force. I think it's hard, tough to call between Chelsea and City for the other Champions League spot, mm. but I can see Chelsea FA Cup. And City with the with the Conti Cup, and that's kind of how I'd see it going. Kieran, mm. the only concern I have with Arsenal is keeping the players fit because historically over the last few years they've struggled to do that. Uh, mm. Losing Danielle Carter to another ACL is a huge blow for them, and I think she would have been really important for them in the upcoming season. And it's devastating to see her miss another year. Uh, do you know what? You made a really good point earlier. Chelsea not having Champions League distraction could be hugely mm. beneficial for them. And as I said, I still think that they have the most depth in their squad. So I think it's it's a tough one to call between those two. I said Arsenal before we came on to record it, but I might change my mind to be different and, <laughs> and say Chelsea. Just because of that, they, they can focus on domestic football. Arsenal have had to wait a few years to get back into the Champions League. It's massive for them to be back in the Champions League and it would be huge for them to get through to the latter stages. So it might be that while they're doing that, Chelsea are maybe concentrating on the league. Well, I've also got a hunch that it's time for the Empire to strike back. Watch out for Chelsea. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.